You know, security is a real positive that allows businesses to operate and grow at scale. And we need to sell that a bit more in our sector, I think, rather than just, you know, guys who are talking about risk and bad things happening all the time. On the podcast today, we're talking about security with Matthew Bright, the CISO at 118118Money. We're talking about how startups, and in particular fintechs, are beginning to look at security a little bit differently. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. Welcome to today's edition of the podcast. I'm joined by Hayley. How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. Did you have a nice weekend? Yeah, I had Friday off, so it was a lovely long one. Felt like mm-hmm. I got it got to Sunday and I was like, wow, I feel like I've been up a week. <laughs> Did you do anything particularly nice? Saw a bit of family out in the garden, in the sun, you know. Didn't get burnt. I did. So I did on Friday. <laughs> you should I, be I re- uh, So I took a, a long lunch. Oh, I yeah. Managed- yeah, no, no, no. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I am going to be totally fine about this. I got everything done. I cleared my diary a little bit. I'd made sure that I was on top of everything. And then I took a long lunch and we cycled to a local pub and there's a little sheltered beer garden. And for the first time we sat and we had someone bring us food rather than make it ourselves uh, and drank non-alcoholic beer because rock and roll and then cycled home. And when I got home, I realized I was very, very pink. That sounds lovely. Like The little things these days is really what matters. Oh, we had a lovely time. I mean, the, the the pub is called the Three Chimneys. For anyone who ever visits Kent, if you're ever in the Biddenden area, the Three the Three Chimneys. It's in the Michelin Guide. Has been for like nine out of the last ten years, and often gets rated as like the best eating pub in Kent. It's fabulous. It's pretty damn good. All of their puddings are homemade. Uh, had a dark chocolate um, tort with like a raspberry coulis and and um, and pistachio ice cream, and it was it was delightful. It's not good for people who are on a diet. Can we stop now? <laughs> well, if you cycle, so the cycle was like eighteen kilometers round trip. So that kind of, you know, true, true. That's okay. Yeah, for you. Now I'm thinking about I want to get a nice raspberry tort, whatever you just said. <laughs> Dark chocolate tort with a raspberry coulis. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I'm sure you had. To, I'm sure you had some very nice things to eat on Friday too. That's why I'm on a diet. <laughs> All right, fair enough anyway we hope that you had a lovely weekend the weather is finally slowly improving um but that to one side our guest uh today is matthew bryant the CISO, rather of 118118 money who um probably is looking forward to to the better weather because as you'll see at the beginning of his interview talks about wanting to get his step count up and also talking about watching cricket and both of those things are summer things that that, that really need nice weather so we'll hand over to the interview and then myself and Hayley will be back with some commentary afterwards joining me today is matt bryant CISO at 118118 money how are you today i'm good thank you yourself yes not too bad thanks uh, before you hit record you said you, you'd got a, a fitbit delivered through the post uh, i suppose <laughs> it's, 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 that's Secure, I hope. Well, we're about to find out, aren't we? It's, it's more through boredom, really, and an obsession with data. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd avoided these things for a while, but I, I was playing around on the Google Fit app and got excited by all the charts and numbers and thought, well, let's see how low my figures are, considering I'm sat at home all day doing nothing. You know, and I think I told you didn't I, the, the other day my step counter didn't break past 75, which is a little bit demoralizing. I don't know. I, I, you could look at it two ways. I mean, that's that's almost an achievement. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't set the goals that low. I think the lowest goal is 300 steps. So, that, you know, there aren't goals low enough for what I should be striving for. So uh, we'll see. I'll check back in once, <laughs> once I've run it for a few months and we'll, we'll see where I am, see if it's had any added Absolutely. So look, just very quickly, obviously, as we said, C- CISO at 118, 118. Um, previously, CISO at Moniz, uh, having worked at organizations like BT uh, and CGI previously and Ofcom. Um, how, how did you come to be in the role that you're in? Uh, so I've been knocking around in security for, for 15 years or so um, through the sort of traditional technology path that, you know, moved into risk management and a bit of consultancy. Uh, I, I think uh, I've ended up as a CISO because I have an appetite for, for solving problems at a program level. You know, there's lots of things that happen in security programs, but somebody's got to be on top of it, joining the dots, really. Um, there's things that we worry about all the time as CISOs that maybe we don't talk about out loud. Uh, we don't like to talk about areas where we think we're vulnerable or we might have gaps. But what I found in the fintech space where I've been in the last five years or so, uh, either through Moniz, who was you know the fourth largest fintech bank in Europe at the time, um, although technically they're not a bank, um, or at 118118Money, which is the, the financial arm of uh, 118118, which maybe you remember from, from back in the noughties, the guys with the mustaches and the, the jogging bombs, um, is that there are, there are similar Christ, challenges. The, no- the noughties? The noughties. Sorry, just to jump in. It's not that, it's not that long ago, is it? Well, it's 20 years ago, I remember. I went to the cricket 20 years ago, dressed oh. as a 118118 guy. Up ahead in that's, that's slightly terrifying. I know, I know. And now I'm the chief information security officer. It's uh, you know, it's a strange yes. world. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, I jumped in. No, I mean, but the fintech sector has some hallmarks that mean it has you know specific security challenges that that apply to it. Um, and I thought it'd be good to talk around some of those things and um, you know, maybe offer some insight into if I was a business leader, what would I be asking my CISO? You know, what what would I want to know from my security team? And you, t- you said there that, you know, we don't like to talk about vulnerabilities. Is, is that still the case now? Surely now, when everyone's working from home and we're in this strange situation, people desperately want to talk about vulnerabilities. Well, I mean, CISOs tend not to want to, don't they? Because they want to give a perception of being uh, competent and on point, you know, and that's... Uh... The world we live in is risk management and it, it, it's a little bit like you know i can criticize my family but nobody else can you know so I, the very few CISOs i think i've found want to talk about the challenges they're facing they want to talk about the solutions that they've delivered but you know the, the way that fintech works the kind of the rapid growth that's expected you know most fintechs don't make a lot of money if any um and when they're going through that growth when they're in that phase of the business uh, the VC or the private equity firms that are backing this, they want to see exponential growth. They want to see huge numbers. We look at what happened with Monzo and Revolut and even with Moniz. Um, they will accept rapid growth of customer base in, in lieu of revenue or in lieu of profit. So now that comes with challenges, um, you know, especially in the finance sector where essentially commercial partnerships, uh, rapidly scalable infrastructure and the use of software as a service tools have, have enabled this growth. You know, could, could you imagine Revolut or Monzo growing like they have done to the household names in, in three or four years if they were busy building server infrastructure in their own basements or if they were busy building uh, financial service products end-to-end? The reason they've got there is because they partner like crazy and because they build infrastructure in the cloud at lightning speed. And that's 
that's really what's enabled that growth. That, that you know that that does come with risk, and there are new challenges to address that weren't around ten years ago. As a result, as a CISO in a fintech, then, do you see yourself as operating in the same industry as say a CISO, a legacy bank, or do you do you think that actually naturally you have far more in common with a CISO at any number of different scale up businesses in different sectors? Um, I think the scale up, I mean, there's parallels with both, obviously, but I, I think we have a lot more in common with other scale ups. Um, and let's not talk about startups because, you know, startups don't have CISOs. It's a luxury. Um, they, they tend to come with, uh, we, we arrive at the party usually late after all the damage has been done. You know, your, your first gig as a CISO is to look at, look at the state of the place and make an assessment. Um, and I think that gives us a lot in common with other organizations that have grown quickly uh, to establish themselves in a market and didn't necessarily have a profitable business model from day one. So took some expedient decisions about being quick to market. Uh, whereas in a, in a legacy organization, don't get me wrong, you know, high street banks have, have big challenges in the security space, but they're slightly different focus around looking at legacy issues, looking at problems associated with, you know, the IT platforms they've been running since the 90s. Whereas uh, their problems tend not to be associated with exponential growth and the stress that that puts on an organization from a security point of view. You said there that CISOs are a luxury and often are brought in when the damage is done. But that's a choice, right? That's a choice of the of the CEO. And a few years ago, CEOs of startups decided that chief people officers were one of their first tires. What needs to happen to change the opinion or attitudes that actually security because because we all talk about the fact that security should be baked in from the start right so surely saying that CISOs are a luxury doesn't tally with that um yeah it makes it more challenging but you know there's there's a, a stitch in time saves nine right and that there's there's we, we love our um we love our catchphrases in security and one of them is shifting security to the left You'll always hear engineers talking about shifting security to the left. And, and what, it, what that means is the sooner you address security in a product lifecycle, the cheaper and easier it is to deal with security issues. You know, So if we don't worry about security until we've dumped a financial product on the consumer, then we're going to find out about bugs through pen tests. We're going to find out about bugs because we get hacked, and that's very expensive to address. If we think about security at the start of the lifecycle, when we're designing, when we're architecting, when we're coding, the issues we find will be cheaper to address at those stages. The same could be said for the life cycle of a business. You know, if you start from day one and you hire a CISO and you have a competent security team, then you can address issues as you grow the business. But the truth is, you know, if I'm some you know wacky founder and I've got an angel investor who's giving me a hundred grand to get a proof of concept off the ground. Um, you know, they're not thinking about a security team at that point. They're thinking about, you know, all-rounder superstar coders and product managers who can get the thing to market. Because my experience is that organizations, particularly startups and scale-ups, they think about CISOs and that sort of second-line governance of security when their investors tell them they have to. So it tends to come with Series yeah. B funding rounds, you know, when they start to look more at GRC. Um, and often I'll be hired into a business at the same time as they're hiring a chief risk officer or a head of compliance, and they're thinking about how they can apply governance to their whole organization it just seems to be the way things are i think um, there's a right time to bring in new layers of governance in every business i suppose so talking about governance <clears throat> back in the the noughties 
uh, when you were at Headingley dressed as a 118 guy. Um, you know, if you think about security, it was software, then it was IT, then it was procurement, then you installed a server and that whole life cycle would take months. Now, um, you know, technology can be deployed in seconds and governance is in the hand of software engineers. Um, so how does a CISO operate in that style of an environment and still effectively do their job? Um, it, it's challenging. And like all things in life, it's, it's about relationships. And, and you're right to say that back in the, the, in the olden days, uh, we processes took longer, so it was easier to insert security into them. And yeah, if, if a software developer wanted a new server, they had to go through the procurement department and they had to wait for the server to arrive and they had to wait for IT to install it in the basement. And uh, then they might get their hands on it six weeks after they asked for it. In today's world, a, a software engineer can spin up a server in the cloud at the touch of a button. Uh, and if you don't have control of that, you, your infrastructure can really, really sprawl very quickly. Um, you need to have control over that. We call it threat surface. And, you know, most security people are paranoid about threat surface. What threat surface means is what's the scope of things that we are responsible for that can be attacked? So if you remember, do you remember battleships back in the day where like we both draw some some battleships on a grid of paper and uh, you know I throw bombs at your battleship grid and you throw bombs at mine and we try and hit each other randomly? That's a pretty good example of, of threat surface. Mm. If you're if you're a dreadnought that's six squares long and I'm just a life raft that occupies one square, if we're randomly throwing bombs at each other, then I have more chance of hitting you. Whereas, you know, it, when we're talking about threat surface insecurity, it's pretty much the same principle. You know, the, the internet is full of people just chancing their arm, just looking for vulnerability that they can attack. If we can keep our footprint smaller, then we can reduce the likelihood that we're the victim of an attack. So when we're looking about governance internally to control our threat surface, particularly the number of servers we deploy, it's about being involved early on in the conversation around what software engineers want to achieve and making sure you enable the business while protecting its interests. And I, I know it's not the reputation that cybersecurity has. Everybody thinks we're the people who turn up and say no, uh, and that actually we enjoy doing that. Now, you know, if, you, if you've worked in FinTech, you'll know that we've all got shares, right? You know, I have as much interest in the business doing well as anybody else. So I want to make things happen. And, and really, you know, security is a massive business enabler. Not, none of the products we've used would work without security. The reason you can do banking from your mobile phone is because security makes that possible. That's why we don't walk into branches anymore like we did in the 80s. So, you know, security is a real positive that allows businesses to operate and grow at scale. And we need to sell that a bit more in our sector, I think, rather than just, you know, guys who are talking about risk and bad things happening all the time. From a security point of view, just out of interest, how much of a headache has it been having everyone sat at home, everyone buying bits of bits of kit like uh i know you were talking about fitbit obviously that doesn't apply to work but earlier this week i received a logitech um cam which meant installing a new bit of software on my uh on my laptop and you know i i like using various different editing platforms from my work um that must be a, an absolute nightmare right having everyone sitting at home doing all of these things on company networks it's, it's, it's challenging. It depend, really depends on what organization you work for. Um, I mean, there, there, there's the social factors around everybody being at home. They apply to everybody. And, you know, when people are working outside their normal work environment, 
they're more likely to make decisions that aren't good security decisions. You know, they're more likely to fall for the social engineering attack, the phone call from someone pretending to be from IT, you name it. Um, but as far as sort of technical side of things, it really depends where the company was on their digital transformation. And, and fintech's pretty good for that. One of the reasons that fintech businesses have grown so quickly is because they use a lot of software as a service. So you know, your, your standard model in fintech is G Suite for business uh, and a cloud platform like AWS or Azure. Now, you or I sitting in the office connecting to those things over the Wi-Fi isn't technically any different from you or I sitting at home and connecting to those things over the internet. So if you're an organization that uses Slack or Teams, or Office 365, or AWS, or Azure, from a technical security point of view, the challenges are more or less the same. It's about controlling access. All these things live on the internet. That's the new perimeter. The old perimeter used to be your firewall, you know, that was around your server in the basement. Now the perimeter is, is, is on the internet, and, you know, we need to make sure that people only have access on our terms. But that hasn't changed. Where I wouldn't like to be is an organization that's tried to do digital transformation whilst responding to COVID at the same time. It's the worst possible thing. Um, because if you're an organization where all of their systems are on-premise and people have to be in the building to access them, at the same time as people are at home and worrying about their health and all of the other pandemic advice, you're also trying to teach them to use new tools. Um, I remember early on in this pandemic, having my sister's a teacher and I had to show her how to use Teams. And I didn't realize that all of my organizations take that for granted. It's just a skill that we have. So organizations that weren't as far down the digital transformation path had all of the associated technology risks that I think fintechs managed to avoid because of the nature of how they're set up. Look, I, be, I think it's been fascinating to talk to you. Obviously, it's a really interesting area and one that a lot of organizations are, are grappling with. And as you said there, whilst whilst you might be quite on top of it in fintech in some regards, and there are still issues for you in that sector, obviously, it's uh, it's a real concern for a lot of organizations. So your insight's been been fantastic i hope you get on well with your fitbit yeah thank you very much i'll i'll, I'll send you um i'll send you a week's statistics once i've done something that's that's worth boasting about <laughs> perfect well look thank you very much for your time matt and enjoy the rest of your day thanks dave cheers people outside the office are more likely to fall foul of social engineering a very real concern there from 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 matt it's probably true, right? Or is it? I, I mean, I, I listen to it and obviously I kind of take that on face value. He's a CISO. He's, he's, he's probably seen the stats. But I yeah. would have thought that people are a little bit more guarded because they're at home and maybe in the office they have their guard down because they think that it's kind of protected and everything's okay. So I found it quite interesting that he said that people are more likely to fall foul of those kind of attacks when they're sat at home. Yeah, I kind of get that. I, I think that the point with that is I am so much, I get the calls all the time and I'm answering them all the time. I'm just like, work related or not, if I get a call and it's a number, I'm just like, hello, you know. So whereas if I was at work, I'd be like, oh, sod that. Not, not answering that one. <laughs> not answering that one. So yeah, I do kind of get that. Got a bit more time on your hands. So I feel like you're a bit more responsive to things, aren't you? And also, mm-hmm. all I've con- I can't stop thinking about whether... Matt has got his steps up or not yet because that oh well from 75 yeah because that is I mean yeah oh wow I mean that's worse than me oh I I think it's an achievement (laughs) I I genuinely think it's an achievement and I think I think I think we should um ask Matt to to tell us that report uh of his activity now that we're uh, a few weeks on 
about a month on from from the recording, but I'm not going to dig him out too much. I imagine there's a lot of people who've been in very similar circumstances through the winter lockdown, um, yeah, where it's, have, it's, yeah. there's really been very little motivation to do anything. Yeah, no, honestly, like, there has been days probably, I haven't actually checked where I've been around that number. I've barely left the sofa to the kettle and back again. <laughs> so bad so bad but look everyone it's sun's getting sun's out now we can, we can get better at this but back to the interview <laughs> i was gonna say we should have a little competition people should text or tweet in uh the lowest number of steps that they've um that they've accumulated in the course of a day uh accidentally and see if we can find anyone lower than 75 um i think his <laughs> point about trying to teach his sister to use teams and that we as as tech-enabled organisations or tech organisations take it for granted and that digital transformation the pandemic for a lot of organisations has been really tricky is a good one because that's a really fair point, right? Like 99% of people in our in our office, whether or not they had used Teams before, had used platforms similar to it enough that we all picked it up without a huge amount of issues, right? It wasn't so much whether or not it wasn't a case of if the tech works will people actually you know providing it works we got on with it and it was fine yeah definitely especially the kind of software that we use as well it's kind of i mean you could give me something i'll probably find my way around it within within a couple of minutes do you know what but I mean? we take that for granted we do take yeah. that for granted yeah we do there are a lot and- of organizations out there where you would give that kind of tech to someone they go hang on a minute, what am i doing yeah exactly like what is going on here because you need to help me because <laughs> I mean a lot, of, a lot of companies as well like a lot not companies I'm just wrong things to use but like lots of industries don't really get that opportunity to use technology like we do so yeah I think it's a it's a massive massive factor especially for people who are teachers as well and are used to just kind of teaching not teaching IT either <laughs> and um, if you're if you're in that mindset of just trying to get someone up and running on it then educating them you know we, we touched on the before about um people are more susceptible to social engineering attacks whilst they're at home well if you're if you're worried about whether or not they can just use the tech never mind whether or not it works just 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 trying to get them to navigate their way around it then they're absolutely going to be easy targets to anyone who's trying to prey on them yeah absolutely i agree i mean i get i get you know like phishing emails phishing messages you know, all the time. Like it's not, it's a daily occurrence now, isn't it? I, I genuinely mm. believe that. I, I only need to get an email from Amazon, but the 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 end's slightly different. I had an email today from the National Rifle Association that was addressed to Donald, um, which I definitely haven't opened, and I'm definitely not subscribed to. Uh, so, so maybe they thought pure curiosity would be like, what? No, we, not touching that. We're veering off a little bit, but I, I have actually don't have genuine general question so if there was an email that is suspected phishing email and i actually open it to check if it's phishing or not is that allowing people into yeah you know what i don't know i mean if i get an email like that i just don't open it i mean certainly don't click on any links in it yeah Um, i wouldn't do that i think you're okay opening it but there's there's a point right we're not sure (laughs) yeah it's true it's true absolutely okay and we're fairly well we're fairly well educated on that front. Um, I think Matt's analogy, by the way, for threat services, battleships, you know, dreadnoughts and, and, mm. and so on. The internet is full of people chancing their arm. Keeping your footprint smaller 
you know, the number of service, servers, etc. Um, but therefore enabling the business whilst protecting its interests is the default position. And I really like the fact that he talks about the fact that security enables business um, and it's and it's really positive that it allows business to operate uh, and scale, and that the the, the change of the com- sorry the change of tone needs to happen when it comes to the conversation around security. Yeah, definitely, and that actually blew my mind a little bit when he said that it's like an afterthought in um, like a startup. That I was mm. saying, wow, like that is because as well like a lot of startups are using like cloud technology straight away. So you would just, I don't know, I just assumed, although, yeah, they, they, people think it's safer, but I don't know. I, I just really assumed that if that it would be from day one and that would be like a priority, especially no, like it's, get, it's getting product to market. It's, it's getting proof of concept. It's getting an MVP. It's getting to yeah. market. It's getting users. It's capturing data. And, and it's at series B, as Matt says, that the, the considerations around risk and security and compliance begin to kind of go, hang on a minute. We need to think about these things. And you're right. I mean, I can see how it's a challenge that if you're a founder, you only have a finite amount of money and you're growing yeah. and it's like, what do you hire first? Do you hire, you know, there's, there's people that will advocate for, it should be people, um, a chief of people or a chief of talent or a, you know, but there's absolutely a case for a security um, head at that very early stage. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of CISOs, especially like Matt as well, he's got such a varied experience as well. Like it's not just security where he can help you. It's, do you know what I mean? Someone in that position. So I feel like their knowledge and, and, and understanding of a broad understanding of, of many things it would be such a big benefit to a business early on as well. But yeah, it's so mm-hmm. it, may, it makes sense as well from a business side of things, obviously for them in, in terms of cost. But yeah, I just found that really, really like shocking that I didn't, I thought that, that would be like number one. Especially like now, I wonder if that is now number one or, or really important now we are in this pandemic and things have changed slightly. Um, who knows? I guess the future will tell. Yeah, and I think Matt's quite pragmatic about it, but you say cost. I mean, surely surely there is a, a cost in retrofitting all of this stuff and putting process in at a later date that could be avoided if you, if you make those changes yeah. earlier. Exactly, exactly. And also, I was liked the point as well, whilst we're on points we liked, um, about how it's a lot of people in that position don't really talk about what vulnerabilities. But I wonder if people were a bit more open about those vulnerabilities, I guess things probably would be able to be solved quicker. And I don't know, I feel like that's quite strange, isn't it? Because a lot of companies mm-hmm. do talk about pain points and things like that, don't they? Yeah. Um, and and yeah, like I guess insecurity. No one wants to come across that like they've got loads of problems, but they probably could help them help each other. Well, look, I, I think we'll have a quick break. Um, Matt, thank you very much for being our guest. Um, I really do hope that you've done more steps than seventy-five since the recording. Um, but uh, thank you for coming on and talking to us about the world of security and startups. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. 
You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right. Welcome back to the show. Quick chat before we wrap up this um, Tuesday episode. Uh, Zoom's immersive view could make video calls feel a bit more in person. Uh, Simulating an office or auditorium in a Zoom meeting. So Zoom is rolling out a video background feature called immersive view that can make video calls feel a bit more like an office meeting or at least uh, look a lot more like one. So they've they've announced the features last year at the Zoomtopia conference, but now it's actually available on free and pro accounts uh, for webinars of up to 25 participants. Uh, Immersive views build on virtual background features, but focuses on placing uh, actually placing meeting attendees in realistic looking locations rather than just switching out a flat background. So Haley, if you're wondering what the hell this is, do you remember a little while ago we had that video and your team were all sat along a table together? Yeah, I chose that. So I do know exactly what this is. There we go. <laughs> it is exactly that. And I was going to say, that I find this is quite interesting because it is obviously Zoom trying to change subtly their offering, I suppose, to make sure that it feels relevant as people begin to move towards that hybrid environment? They, I'm sorry, those things are ridiculous. It's more amusing than it is professional. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I did that. I thought it was hilarious that we was all sat there at a desk. And I, some people looked like they were tiny. Some people looked like the BFG giant. And it was just, it was just more distracting than actually anything. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you know, Zoom Zoom is suggesting that this is going to, um, well, I mean, it's odd. They, the, the, the images that they've shared are kind of kids in a classroom. Um, it's like cartoon as well. Like, it just doesn't look real. Yeah. Uh, I, don't I, d- I don't know. It's, it, it is interesting. I, it doesn't really state why Zoom have done done this it does feel like it does feel like a bit of a novelty feature it's interesting that you immediately say you did it because it was funny rather than professional they obviously have done this because they feel that people will like it and it'll make them feel more like it's a meeting but i don't think you're ever i think they collaboration tools are collaboration tools they have a very definite place and i think that when we move to a hybrid working environment some people are in the office and some people are Aren't actually, it's quite a useful thing to carry on a lot of meetings on Zoom, regardless of whether or not you're in the the office or not. And it frees up um, stresses on on meeting rooms because you don't want there to be second class citizens, people who are at home whilst everyone else is in the office, missing out on some of the conversation. But it doesn't doesn't get away from the fact that it's not an in person meeting, and maybe we should accept collaboration tools for what they are, rather than trying to make them gimmicky, kind of quasi realistic meetings that they are not yeah this is it i think it's a, there's a big part of it that makes me think oh like people will see that people might take pictures of it on social media they'll be like oh look what zoom can do let's lose you zoom you know like that element of it mm. it's like a, a you just think it's point. kind of staying relevant staying it's staying in attention something yeah. you used to talk about so they don't sink out of people's subconscious as, as we begin to move back to sitting in front of each other Exactly. No more pub quizzes over Zoom. Yeah, you know what though? Like they were good. I have I have quite enjoyed the fact like I've got some university friends. We do one every every fortnight still through this last lockdown. 
and it's just a nice chance to get together with people who actually a lot of us live in different parts of the country now like one of the guys is in the netherlands one of the couples is in lincolnshire we're down in in kent you know another one's in in london i think without that we've we've spent more time talking to each other in the last year than we had in the previous years where we could have physically seen each other i know and it's so that is such a good point because before you just would never have done that you'd never be like oh let's do a video call with your mates and I just feel like it has connected people in a way so yeah that's quite a nice quite a nice way to gr- granted you're not going to do it with your colleagues in the office because you can actually see them but there is something nice about reconnecting with people where geographical distance had always existed and maybe it stopped you talking to each other as much as you might like yeah I see my colleagues more than my family I don't want to see them anymore <laughs> <laughs> if you listen, <gasps> I don't even care. <laughs> they definitely are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. On that note, uh, thank you for joining us today. We'll be back on Friday. Oh!